Well, hey, thanks for uh, coming out on this uh, snowy Sunday morning. Good to have all of you with us here today. As we uh, get started this morning, I want you to stop in and think about who's the strangest person that you've ever known. Now, if you're sitting next to them, don't nudge them. Don't nudge them. That'd be a little awkward. And stop pointing. For me, as I was thinking about this, I think the strangest person I ever knew, I actually didn't really know him a lot, but when Lisa and I first got married, our next door neighbor would get up like, and I was going to try to do it on my chair, but I'm not going to do it. He would actually get up on top of his doghouse and practice diving into water. Now, not like Olympic type of diving, but like diving like you would do before you were like starting a race. So, you know, you get down like this on the top of his doghouse and then you just dive. Now, there wasn't actually water <laughs> down below. So he was just awkwardly landing on the grass and the dirt. It was just the, the weirdest thing. I'm not sure if we like lived next to this guy that wanted it to be kept a secret that he was like this world-class Olympic athlete. And, you know, he was like obsessed with getting his starting times better. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it was a weird thing to look out the window. And there he was ready to just jump down onto the ground like that. I think he was just strange. I, I think that's what it was. But he probably isn't as strange as the guy that we're going to look at today as we continue our series called Meet Jesus. If you got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 3. That's where we're going to hang out today. Matthew's one of these guys that uh, he was one of Jesus' followers, one of what we call the disciples. And he was an eyewitness of who Jesus was and all that Jesus had done. And, and, and Matthew was a good Jewish guy. He was a tax collector. And after Jesus' resurrection, Matthew was one of the guys that decided, you know what, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write out everything that I saw and everything that I heard about Jesus. So just like some of the other gospel writers, he, he makes sort of an orderly account of everything that was going on. Now, what we're doing in this series called Meet Jesus is we're actually just sort of continuing something we've started back last year in about the summer or so. We are just going straight through the Bible chronologically. So we got all the way through the Old Testament, back at Christmas, we went through Jesus' birth, and now we're really getting into the life and the ministry of Jesus. Now, as I shared with you last week as we started this series, there was only one story about Jesus from after his birth until his ministry starts at the age of 30, and that was when he was 12 years old and his mother and father lost him at the Jewish temple. And so that was a cool story. If you didn't get an opportunity to listen to that, make sure you jump online and take a listen to that on our website, exponential.church. You can find it there. But um, there's two more things that Jesus had to do to really prepare for his public ministry. So we're going to look at one of those stories today, and then we'll wrap up the Meet Jesus series next week with the second thing that Jesus had to do before the ministry could actually take place. So Jesus is now 30 years old, and that, that's when this story is going to take place. Now, even though this is the Meet Jesus series, a lot of today's message is actually going to be about his cousin, a guy that was the same age as Jesus, and his name was John. And John was really, really strange. He was weird. He was crazy. He was up on top of his doghouse, right, jumping down into the water. That, that was John. Now, you may know him by a different name, and it's because of the activity that John did all the time. He was always baptizing people, and so we call him John the Baptist, and we're going to look at his strange, strange story here this morning. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Basically, John's whole purpose for existing was to prepare people for Jesus, and here's what Matthew then writes. While they, meaning Mary and Joseph and Jesus, while they were living in Nazareth, 
John the Baptist began preaching out in the Judean wilderness. His constant theme was what? His constant theme was? Repent. Turn from your sins. Turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is coming soon. Isaiah the prophet had told about John's ministry centuries before. He had written, I hear a shout from the wilderness. Prepare a road for the Lord. Straighten out the path where he will walk. John's clothing was woven from camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt. His food was what? His food was locusts and wild honey. Now, I don't know about you guys, but honey's good. You know, I can get down with honey. But come on, dude, wild locusts? I mean, that's just, that's just disgusting. Now, I, I'm sure John probably was saying, it tastes just like chicken, right? I mean, <laughs> but that, that's how he's getting his protein as he's eating this. And, you know, it's, it's awkward when, like, somebody's like, hey, you got a little something stuck between your teeth teeth there it's like oh it's just a locust leg you know he's like i mean th th this is disgusting and and john was just a little bit weird not only was he weird because of the food that he ate he was he was weird he was wearing like camel skin and he had this like leather belt and he was living out in the wilderness i mean he was just strange and, and john he, he was like some sort of a, a religious a spiritual type of leader and, and that made him strange, too, because in that day and time when, when Jesus lived, if you were a religious leader, what the, the, the scriptures tell us, there were a group of people called the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were educated. And for the most part, they lived in Jerusalem. And they wore fine clothing. And they had a little bit of money. And here's John, he's living out in the desert. Wearing camel skin and eating locusts and wild honey, it's just... He's a strange, strange dude. But yet apparently the, the Jewish people were very sort of intrigued by him. You see, they were familiar with the, with the scriptures. They had grown up with the law and the prophets. We, we learned the other week we call that what? The, the Old Testament, but it should be called what? The old, the old Covenant, right? George was listening. Thanks, George. So they had grown up with that. And John the Baptist reminded them a lot of Elijah. And they loved the stories of Elijah. Elijah was this weird, weird prophet. And they're like, man, he, he's a lot like Elijah. And they remembered that not only Isaiah, but other prophets had said that before the Messiah came, that one like Elijah would come again. And so they start to, to go, wait a second. He, he reminds us a lot of Elijah. Does this mean that he's the one that's preparing the way for the Messiah to come? Some of them even thought that, you know what, maybe he's just Elijah reincarnated. I mean, he looks like him, he talks like him. And so there was this, this mass appeal to him. In any case, John the Baptist, he has their attention. And in verses 5 and 6, we read this. From Jerusalem and all Judea, and from the Jordan River Valley, crowds of people went to John. They told him how sorry they were for their sins, and he baptized them in the river. What an amazing message John must be preaching if crowds of people are showing up, and the reason they're showing up is to tell them all about, or tell him all about their sin, and, and to want to be baptized. You're going, man, that would be a good message. Well, I wonder what he was preaching. 
Well, we already read it. He is preaching a message. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn towards God. Over and over and over, he just keeps, repent. Turn from your sin. You need to turn towards God. I mean, if he were me and he was preaching this, he'd say, now point one on your message outline there, you know, fill this in. Repent. You know, put that on the, on the outline. That's, that's the thing on the screen there. Repent, you know. And they're like, okay, good, we got that. Point number one, repent. All right, John, what's point number two? He's like, I wasn't done with point number one yet. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn towards God. They're like, okay, we got it. We need to repent. Come on, John, give us, give us something else. We, we came out to, to learn more. And he's like, why would I teach you more until you do the thing I already taught? Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn towards God. That actually leads to the first point I do actually want to make there on your outline. And it's a mistake that, that we make. I put it this way. My problem isn't the things about Christianity that I don't know. The problem is the parts that I do know, but yet haven't obeyed. See, we're like the, the, the people in the story. They, they want what's next. And John's like, no, 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 no. We're just going to keep preaching the same message over and over and over again until you obey it. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn towards God. In other words, for you and I, the problem isn't that we don't know enough. It's that we don't obey enough. I forget which pastor it was said it one time. He's like, you know what? We have become educated beyond our obedience. We don't need another Sunday school class, another life group, another sermon, another TV preacher, you know, all these things. We as Americans, we have all these ways that we can hear God's word. We hear a lot of God's word. We don't need more education. We need more obedience. We need to, to repent of the things that we know that we need to repent of. And, and that's what's amazing for John here in this story. He's just preaching the simple message of repentance. He isn't preaching about what to repent of. He knows that they already know what they need to repent of. And you know what? The same thing is true for you. You already know the areas of your life that you're in disobedience to God. The areas that God wants you to improve in. You don't need me to preach a message about that. The Spirit's already revealed that to you. What we need is repentance. We need to turn away from our disobedience. and We need to turn towards God. So John just keeps preaching this message over and over and over again. Apparently, that's what the people were doing. Again, big crowds are showing up. And maybe part of it had to do with the, the second part of his message there because he was saying, repent, turn from your sins, turn towards God because the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is sort of like the, the street corner preacher, right? He's going, the end is near! Now those guys are usually crazy. But John, was, John was a little crazy. But if you think about even those street corner preachers when they're shouting about that the end is near, they're actually right. Yeah, I mean, if you stop to think about it, 
because no one knows the day or the hour that death is coming for you. You're not guaranteed another breath. You could drop dead right now. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so we've always got to be ready. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn towards God. Why? Because you may not be alive tomorrow. You may not be right with God. And then the other thing is, not only do we not know the day or hour that death is coming for us, we don't know the day or hour that Jesus may return. Matthew and the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John, they all write that when Jesus returns again, he's coming like a thief in the night. He's going to come when you least expect it. Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour of my return. So if you hear somebody on TV or whatever, oh, I know when Jesus is coming back, I've sat and cackled. No, you don't. (laughs) He's coming like a thief in the night. And so you better be ready. Because again, that could happen in any moment. Or it could be five years from now, a hundred years from now, a thousand years. We We don't know. So since we don't know, you better be ready. Repent. Turn from your sin. And turn towards God. There's a third part then to John's message. He's talking about repentance. He, he's talking about that the kingdom of heaven is near, and then he says you need to be baptized. Now, this whole concept of baptism, a, a lot of people think that, okay, baptism is just strictly a Christian thing. It's not. The, the Jews were actually already practicing baptism even in their day. They would use it for uh, religious purposes. And there was really two ways that they would use it for uh, religious purposes. The the first one was this. If a Gentile, Gentiles being a non-Jew, if a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, there was three steps that they had to go through. For a male, the first step was you had to be circumcised. Now, I have to imagine this limited the pool of potential candidates a lot. (laughs) You know, the, the, the Romans, the, the Gentiles, you know, they're in the chariot going on into the temple area, and the guy's like, honey, why don't you and the kids go on and worship? I'll just stay right on out here, right? So that was the first step, circumcision. The second thing that they had to do was they had to memorize certain key passages of the law and the prophets that Moses had handed down. And then the third thing was to be baptized. And this was symbolic of, I'm washing away that old Gentile sinful life. I'm giving my heart and my life to the one true God. So that's one way that baptism was used. The other way that it was used back in that day and time was as a part of a a ritual cleansing. If you were going to go in and and offer up sacrifices, you wanted to be what was called ceremonially clean first. So this was like a a purification thing. So you actually baptized yourself. You you cleansed yourself of your sin before you went in and and gave up that, that animal sacrifice to the priest to offer up on your behalf. But this baptism that that John's talking about here, this wasn't a a baptism of conversion. This wasn't a a baptism of, of cleansing. This is a baptism of repentance, and the way John talked about it was that all Jews, including the religious Jews, needed to be baptized. It's as as if though he's saying to the religious leaders, you need a conversion yourselves. Obviously, this message was very controversial. The, The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were furious with John. Furious. By the way, you do realize that it's not a good thing to be religious, right? You do know that, right? 
you don't want to be a religious person. Uh, a religious person is somebody that does something over and over and over again without thought as to why they're doing it. You don't want to be religious. Christianity is all about a relationship with Jesus, not about you just checking some boxes and, and filling in the blanks and, and just doing you know, the, the religious type of thing. But in any case, the, the religious people of Jesus' day and time, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they start to come out to, to check out what is John the Baptist doing? And they were really there for one of two reasons, I think. The, the first is some of them were there because, again, religious people, they want to do the, the in thing, the religious thing. They want to just come out and check out the boxes, hang out, add a couple things to the religious resume. The second group of religious people there were probably the ones that felt threatened by John the Baptist's influence, and they wanted to keep an eye on him. You know, the old saying is, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. So they're like, hey, let's just go out and just keep our eye on what this guy's doing. Keep him under check here. Matthew continues in his account of Jesus' life and the story of Jesus by saying this in verses 7 to 9. It says, but when he, meaning John the Baptist, saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You bunch of snakes, who warned you to run from the coming judgment? Do something to show that you have really given up your sins. And don't just say to each other, we're saved, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, if God wanted, he could create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of of the trees. John the Baptist is pretty hardcore here. That's pretty strong language. But he, he wanted to, to make sure that they understand that, look, religion kills, religion destroys, religion is not what you're to be about. Later, Jesus would be the same way with these groups of people. It's not about being religious. It's about a relationship. Religion will keep you from a relationship. Again, being religious is doing godly things just for the sake of doing them. Like it's a checklist that, okay, I, I went to church, and it was even a snowy day, and I went to church. And I read my Bible today, and I prayed today, and I did this for Jesus today. I did that. If you're doing that just simply because I'm checking some boxes, that's not the right heart. That's not, not, not the right attitude. Jesus wants you to do those things, but he wants you to do it out of a love relationship with him, not just because it's a task list that you have to perform. Look, there are two ways you can be separated from God. The first way is to just flat out deny that he exists and to flat out just live in disobedience to him. And, th and that's the way that most often we think of being, you know, uh, uh, away from God and separated from Him. But the second way, and probably the more dangerous way, is to outwardly do a lot of religious things trying to win His approval, but then never actually repenting of your sin. Let me say that again. If you're just doing a lot of religious things, but you haven't actually repented of your sin, you're in a dangerous place because you're separated from God. You're just sort of going through the motions. That's not what he wants. 
Jesus actually had a word for people like that. He called them hypocrites, which means hypocrites. Hypocrites. And you've heard me say this before, that 99.9% obedience to Jesus is actually what? It's actually what? Who remembers? It's disobedience. He doesn't want just 99.9% of your obedience. He wants all of your obedience. He wants 100% of your obedience. So if you're being 99.9% obedient, then that should cause you to fall to your knees in repentance and say, God, I have messed up. Repent. Turn from your sin and turn towards God. That was the message of John the Baptist. But John says this then in verse 11. I baptize you with water so that you will give up your sins. But someone more what? Someone more powerful is going to come and I am not good enough even to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John's basically saying, look, my baptism in water is symbolic of what you really need, and that is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And John's like, I can't do that for you, but one is coming after me, and he's coming soon. Somebody whose sandals I'm not even worthy to pick up and carry. He's going to baptize you in the Spirit of God. Verses 13 and 14. It says, Jesus left Galilee and he went to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John kept objecting and said, I ought to be baptized by you. Why have you come to me? Why have you come to me? Now we're not sure exactly when it was that this was revealed to John of who Jesus was. Did he always just sort of know? Was it, you know, when they were a kid, you know, as, as kids, they were playing in the sandbox and John was trying to make a little sand castle and Jesus is like, watch this, and snaps his fingers and then, you know, there's this, this big old, you know, when, when, when was this revealed to him that, that, he was, that he was God? I mean, did it happen in that moment when Jesus walks into the Jordan and says, hey, I need you to baptize? Is that when John realized who Jesus was? But in any case, he's like, whoa, 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 the baptism that I'm on, is a baptism of repentance in Jesus. You don't need to repent of anything. Jesus, you have no sin. Why, why are you coming to me to be baptized? I mean, if anything, you should be baptizing me. I know who you are. And you don't need to repent of sin because you have no sin. Beginning of verse 15. But Jesus said, please do it. For I must do all that is God's will. This is the beginning of what theologians call the Jesus ministry of substitution. Jesus didn't need to repent. You and I do. Jesus didn't need to be baptized for his sins. You and I do. But Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to be your substitute. It's, it's sort of like this. Imagine that all of us have one of those, hi, my name is stickers on but instead of your sticker having your name imagine it just says hi my name is sinner because that's who you are and then imagine that Jesus walks in and his says hi my name is righteous 
Righteous just simply means to be made right with God and that you are right with God. And so we have our, hi, my name is Sinner on, and Jesus walks in, hi, my name is Righteous. And I want you to imagine that one by one, he comes around to every single one of you, and he takes off your name tag of Sinner, and he puts it on himself. This is the ministry of substitution, that Jesus said, I'll take your name tag for you. And essentially, that's what he's doing when we read the next part there, the second part of verse 15, then through verse 17. So, so John agreed to baptize him. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. And then heaven opened, and he saw God's spirit coming down on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, and I am very pleased with him. When Jesus stepped into the water, he repented of your sin and my sin, not of his own. And Jesus continued to, figuratively speaking, carry your name tag with him for the next three and a half years. And he carried it all the way to the cross. And it was there that he who knew no sin became sin on your behalf. Again, that's called the ministry of substitution. He sacrificed his life for you. You know, oftentimes we say, well, you know, Jesus died for you. And that's true. Jesus did die for you. But here's the better way to think of it with this whole ministry of substitution. It isn't just that Jesus died for you. It's that Jesus died in place of you. Does that make sense? He didn't just die for you. He died in your place. He took your name tag of sinner so that you can have his name tag of righteous. He died in your place. Why did he die in your place? So that you can be made righteous. So that you can have a relationship with him. So you can have a relationship with God the Father. So that you can spend eternity with him forever. And that you can have a brand new life right here and right now. I mean, is it any wonder that when Jesus does all this, that God the Father looks down and he says, that's my boy. I'm proud of him. I'm well pleased. By the way, this whole ministry of substitution is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Because every other world religion says that in order to be made right with God, here's what you need to do in order to get right with God. Christianity says, look, there is nothing you can do. You can never, ever be good enough. It's about what's already been done for you. So here's how I put it on your outline. Every other world religion is spelled D-O. Religion is spelled D-O. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's not about what you can do. It's about what's already been done for you. What Jesus did on the cross. He took your name tag of sinner and he wore it and he died in your place. That's good news. The only way we can be made right with God is to admit our sinfulness and admit our helplessness to do anything about our sin and put our full faith and hope and trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And you're going, okay, well, does that mean that we don't have to do good things then? The answer is no. You, you still need to do good things. But you don't do good things because you're trying to be saved. You do good things because you are saved. You do it out of gratitude of what Jesus did for you there on the cross. 
and it's actually proof that you actually made this transaction with him, that you've accepted his forgiveness, you've accepted his leadership in your life. That's what repentance is all about. Again, praying a prayer to Jesus to forgive you of your sins, it's not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. The proof that you've really done that is you say, you know what, I was going this way, but now I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn and start going towards God. That's the proof that you've really prayed that prayer, not just that you physically said some words out loud or in your head. Repent. Turn towards God. Turn away from your sin. cool part is, just as John the Baptist predicted, if you truly do that, you are baptized in the Spirit of God. His Spirit is in you, His Spirit is on you, and His Spirit will help you with that whole repentance. Now, will you be perfect? No. But as soon as the Spirit reveals to you that there's something you're doing that's displeasing to Him, again, you, you turn from it, and you turn towards Him. And so then Jesus says, look, this is what I'm doing for you. I'm going to baptize you in the Spirit. But I want you to actually be water baptized then to show other people all about that. So let, let's just talk about baptism real quick here. A couple of points. The first one is this. Jesus commanded that I be baptized. Again, Jesus commanded that I be baptized. We've talked a lot over the past year or so about Jesus' great commission found in Matthew chapter 28. And it's there that we've been talking about this whole thing of Jesus wants us to make disciples who do what? Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, right? Let, let's look at the scripture one more time. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. This is Jesus. It says, Then Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and... Make disciples of all nations and then do what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So again, Jesus commands us to make disciples who make disciples. But he also commands as a part of this that when you make a disciple, you do what? You baptize them. But you can't disciple somebody and, and baptize somebody until you yourself have been discipled and baptized. So you have been commanded to be baptized by Jesus. You've got to be baptized. Now, why is this important? Well, number two there on your outline. Baptism publicly declares to others that I have put my faith in Jesus and that I've repented of my sins. Again, it's this, this public declaration of the decision that you've made. And here's why this is important. You can pray and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and, and turn from your sins. You can pray that prayer anytime, anywhere. You don't have to be in a church. You don't have to have a pastor or a priest lead you through that prayer. You could be in your car. You could be in your bedroom. You could be up on the top of a mountain. You, you can be anywhere. And Jesus doesn't say, okay, now after you've prayed that prayer, now I want you to write a book and tell everybody about it. He doesn't say write a book. He doesn't say, okay, I want you to come forward and give a testimony. He doesn't say that, you know, I want you to raise your hand. None of those things is what he says. He says, look, to show other people this decision that you made, because it may have been in private, what I want you to do is be baptized. This is going to say to the rest of the world, look, I am now Team Jesus. 
I've prayed for his forgiveness and I've given him full control of my life. Now again, repentance has to be a big part of this because if you just simply prayed a prayer but you didn't actually repent of your sins and then you get baptized, then you went down a sinner and you came up just a wet sinner. That's all. You've got to repent of your sins. And we do this publicly, again, so that other people can see that we're a part of the team. Number three then, baptism is something I must do for myself, not something that was done to me. I've talked a lot about this in the past as well. A lot of people go, oh, I got baptized as a baby. Uh, No, you didn't. What happened to you as a baby is what's more rightly called dedication. Same thing that happened with Jesus. Eight days after Jesus was born, his parents took him to the temple to have him dedicated to God. Later on, then, Jesus goes through baptism. And it's the same way for us. Again, baptism is you publicly declaring to others a decision that you have made to follow Jesus. You can't make that decision when you're an infant. You can be dedicated, but as I've I've said in the past, dedication speaks to the faith of your parents. That as parents, we're going to raise up this child in the way that they should go. We're going to raise this child up so that they hopefully know Jesus all the days of their lives. But then at some point, that child has to make that decision to make that faith personal. It can't be their parents' faith anymore. It has to be now their own faith that I have come to the point that I realize I'm a sinner. I've come to the place where I realize that I need his forgiveness and I need his leadership in my life and I'm repenting of my sins. And so now, to declare to the whole world that I'm on team Jesus, I'm being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So again, there's nothing wrong if you were quote-unquote baptized as a baby, but just again, realize that that's dedication. Jesus commands that you actually be baptized number four then baptism if at all possible should be by immersion notice here that jesus didn't have some water sprinkled on him by john the baptist john didn't take a a jug of water and pour it over his head no he took him and he actually dunked him underneath the water he immersed him underneath the water he brought him back up And we believe that when you get baptized, that you need to do the same thing. And there's a couple reasons for that. First of all, the word baptism in the original Greek is baptizo. And it means to literally submerge something until it changes. And this was not a new word. I think I've shared this with you guys in the past. There's actually, from around that same time that Jesus lived, there's a a recipe that was found And it said, take cucumbers and baptizo them in vinegar for a couple weeks. Well, what are they making? Pickles. There's a pickle recipe. Again, you baptizo, what that means is submerge until it changes. That's what a pickle is. You submerge it until it changes. And so... When it says that Jesus was baptized here by John the Baptist, the the actual Greek word there is that John baptizoed him. And every time in Scripture then that we read about baptism, it's always this word baptizo. When Jesus said, 
to go and make disciples and baptize them. He says, go and baptizo them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism should be by immersion. Now, obviously, there's sometimes physical limitations or other reasons that somebody couldn't be baptizoed. But if at all possible, that is the way that you should be baptized. As I uh, wrap up, let me just remind you of the two big things that we talked about today. And that is you got to repent. You got to turn from your sin. You, you can't play games. Don't be a religious person. Turn from your sin. Turn towards God. So if there's something you know you need to repent of, repent of it today, right now, because you don't know the day or the hour that death is coming. You don't know the day or the hour that Jesus may return. Make things right with him right here and right now. And then the second thing I want to encourage you is if, if you've never been baptized as an adult after you've made this decision to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to, to sign up on a connection card today that the next time that we offer baptism in the spring that, that you'll be one of the people that will be able to do that. You're like, I don't know, it seems a little, a little strange, a little weird. But I want to show you a, a video from uh, two summers ago. We've had other baptisms since then, but this was one of our bigger baptisms that we've ever had here at Exponential and just be inspired by what a day like this is all about. Watch this. In just a couple minutes, we're going to have 17 people that have signed up from here at Exponential to be baptized. And when we go outside and we do that, I'm going to lower them underneath the water. And what that's doing is it's signifying that you're dying to your old life. Just like Jesus, he died on the cross. And then where did he go? When, when he was dead, they put him in the, in the tomb, right? And he was in that tomb for three days. And so I'm going to hold people under the water for three days. All right, it'll be a little faster than that. But when we put them under, it, it's you saying, I'm dying to the old life. I'm being buried like Jesus was. And then what happened? Jesus didn't stay in the grave, did he? He rose again from the dead. And so when we pull you back up out of the water, that's symbolic that a brand new life is here. Baptism isn't something that you do when you go, okay, I've got my life all together and now I'm ready to be baptized. No, baptism is you saying, my life isn't together. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. And I have prayed and I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I've asked him to come into my life, be the leader of my life. I'm giving him full control of my life. And I'm now being baptized as sort of proof and, and sort of showing everybody else that this is the decision that I've made.
what it's all about, lies being changed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, just this opportunity to once again dive into your word and to look at this uh, strange prophet, this guy named John, who had one message and really one message only, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that we would turn from our sins, that we would turn fully to you, and that if we haven't yet been baptized, that we would uh, make that next step of, of, of obedience to you. Father, we do thank you that you made it way that, uh, that we don't have to be religious, but we can just be in a relationship with you. Thank you that it's not about what we can do to try to earn our way to you, but it's about what has already been done for us by Jesus on the cross. Jesus, thank you for wearing that name tag of ours, that name tag of sinner, and dying in our place. We can never, ever thank you enough for that. And so, just out of gratitude, we're going to live our lives in a way that's hopefully pleasing to you in a way that isn't about us, but we say, since you died in my place, I'm now going to give my life back and turn to you a, a life of service for you, a life that proclaims your name boldly, a life that serves people in the way that you would serve people, a life where I'm going to be your hands and feet and your mouth, Jesus, so that as many people as possible can hear this good news about what you did for us. Jesus, help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them fully on you. Jesus, help us. Help us to live for you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength to make a big of a difference with our lives as we possibly can. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.